He's the Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Oh, good morning, Father. Truly get me out of the way that your truths would be lifted up and through the power of the Holy Spirit we would understand and obey to your glory, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Neato. Well, there's some exciting stuff going on. First, let you know, both Pastor Colton or Dr. Colton's sermon is online as well as Pastor Bob's is online. So you can hear them anytime you want, which is great. And I understand um, some of the sermons, like uh, Matt was sharing, you guys got to hear the one with the, the Confederate flag and the, and the rainbow flag, right? That, that one sermon I did over a year ago, they were traveling, they plug and played and was able to listen to it, which was awesome, right? That's what its purpose is. So um, now this series, or this particular sermon, I thought we'd do, and actually before that, just an idea is I thought for maybe September we could do like a Q&A, like a Hot Topics. If, if you all want to either email me, write me a note, or Facebook me, or whatever, questions you have, Bible questions, I'd like to do, uh, have September be like a potpourri of, or a hodgepodge of whatever's, whatever's pressing your hearts. You can have them be anonymous. doesn't matter. What are the issues that are bugging you about Christianity? What does the Bible have to say about it? I would love that. I love it when people come up to me and ask me Bible questions. I live for that. All right? So please feel free. If you got those, bug me. Send them to me. I know people have questions like, where did Cain get his wife? Right? Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Right? Well, where did he get his wife? And Adam and Eve were the first two people. So there's a lot of scripture. There's a lot of support around that and behind that. So any questions like that, feel free to send them to me. I'd like to have September be four weeks of just answering things that are pressing on you. So, yeah. And if you know people evangelistically, hey, the crazy man Jeff is going to be trying to answer questions. What do you got that you'd like to hear answers to? And get them. So I want to try to do that for September. So you, I want you to save this bulletin because this bulletin has resources on the note side. Do not lose this bulletin. Do not put it in the hymnals. They don't help you there. <laughs> do not leave them in the chair. They won't help you. These have resources that I know mostly, if you don't use computers, you won't be tapping into these. But the point is, if you do have some questions, you know, I can be your local resource, and I'm telling you where I'm going right now to get the information. So that way, for the people who don't have computers, at least save this to know that there are resources. All right? And you can always go to the local library to plug into the computers for free and go to these sites. So save this. Excellent, excellent. And of course, when this makes it online, all those resources will be there, linked on the blog, the post, the the podcast site, as well as the PowerPoint slides. That'll all be there as well. So, all those extra announcements. Now let's get into this. There's two topics that Christians should know about. The terms are apologetics. And polemics. And we're going to look at both of these. They're both uh, things that Christians do. One's more popular than the other. One will make you, neither will make you friends. But polemics certainly won't. So let's look at these. First, we're going to look at apologetics. 
apologetics, and also I thought this was good because people are going back to school, you know, and then uh, the rest of us got to deal with our kids going back to school or no people are going back to school. And, hey, it's fall, so we, in our minds, should be educated a little bit, all of us. So the first word is apologetics. That is a word that comes out of the Bible. And what it means is um, it means to defend it doesn't mean to apologize. So every Christian should be able to do apologetics. Defend your faith. Um, we're going to explain a little more, but it comes from the Greek word apologia. And in a court of law, after the accused would attempt to do their attack, then the, the, after the accuser would attempt, the accused would now speak away, uh, you know, apa, away, loga, logos, logo, that's all the same word, speech. Um, to speak away, make a defense for why that person's wrong and I'm right. Okay, As Christians, you need to have logical, brain-challenging reasons why you follow Jesus. Mystical approaches. I remember back in college days when I worked at a college in food service in Maine at a very big liberal college. And I was talking to other food service people, some, you know, some grown-ups. I was 18 at the time. So, and I asked him, what, why do you believe in God? Because I have faith. What does that mean? Why do you believe in God? And, you know, as an 18-year-old, that bugged me because the grown-ups couldn't tell me. But the college students coming out of their professor's classes could tell me why they didn't. Well, because the earth is 8 billion trillion years old. And we're all just, you know, come from monkeys. Science proves it. Oh, well, and why do you believe in God then? Because I have faith. That's a dumb answer from a dummy. And you ain't helping nobody, especially the kingdom of God. Because that's ignorant. Right? And it is. is. Yeah. (laughs) Apologetics is a branch of Christian theology which attempts to give a rational defense of the Christian faith. Meaning, engaging your brains. And here's some Bible verses about it. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, there it is, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right? This word is that um, apologia word right there. Make a defense. Why do you believe? What's the reason for your hope that's in you? And do it with gentleness and respect. Because you know why? The gospel's offensive to those that are going to hell. You could say it with gentle respect, and every time you said a Bible verse, you gave them ten bucks, they would still be offended with you. You could give them gold, and they would still be offended with what you tell them. All right? So there it is, apologia, make a defense. And as all Christians were commanded to do this. Luke 12, 11, 
Jesus says to his disciples, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should de- what, about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. All right, don't be anxious about it. Now that's for that's for the apostles and the disciples in the first these are the apostles. I get very anxious about it. And whenever I do a lousy job explaining the Christian faith, I go home and I practice. When I think of that conversation, I'm like, what could I have said better? What could I have said different? How could I have gone down this road? And I try to think of a better way to explain it. It's called growing up. All right? But he's telling them, don't worry. These were uneducated blue-collar workers who were the leaders of the church writing the scriptures. The only educated one was Paul. All right, so, but Paul wasn't in this conversation. Peter's telling G, uh, Jesus is telling Peter, John, all them. When you're put before the the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should apologia yourself or what you should say. The Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to tell him the Holy Spirit will give you what you need, and the Holy Spirit gives us what we need. Philippians, or Philemon, I believe it is, seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, this is Paul writing to the church, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, Paul's in prison for teaching Jesus, and in the defense and confirmation of the good news, the gospel. In the defense, the apologia, and then the confirmation of the gospel. Okay? So is that Philippians or you're not? Yes, the... the oh, write them both down, just in case. Okay. Yes, you can look it up quick. So I, gotta, I, just, I can adjust Blue Letter Bible to give me the whole book, and that's what I'll just start doing. Instead of the... the I forget. <clears throat> but there it is. What? Oh, I thought you said uh, you found it. All right. I'm going to give you examples of both in a minute. Um, but first, let's talk about polemics. It is Philippians. It's Philippians. All right. Polemics, the art and practice of controversial discussion. Now, isn't there a Bible verse that says don't get in controversial debates and whatnot? Well, that's about old wives' tales. That's about things that stir up trouble just to stir up trouble. Polemics, in more detailed thing from a theological perspective, is this. It's the branch of theology dealing with the history or conduct of ecclesiastical disputation and controversies. In other words, when you listen to Joel Olstein, okay, you use polemics to discern... If he's on track or he's off track, is he preaching scripture or is he preaching self-glorification using scripture? How much scripture did he exegete? Does he even know what an exegete is? Did he open his Bible when he read it to the people? Right? It's called discernment. Another word for polemics is discernment and then throwing down the yellow flag. Hey, you said this. But you quoted scripture out of context. You just said, if I pray, I'll get a better parking spot. What's wrong with this picture? Show me in scripture where it says, if I pray, I'll get better parking at the mall. Show me that. Right? So that's polemics is engaging other Christians 
in making sure iron sharpens iron is the idea. If, they, if, if people are, are looking to better obey Jesus, it'll exhort and strengthen Christians. Um, if it doesn't, if, if people are, have their own agenda, it'll offend and make a mess. And that's okay. All right, so that's the idea. Now, the examples we got out of this, I totally didn't think about the iron sharpens iron until just a second ago. That's neat. Acts 17, 10 through 12. Um, Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas, are preaching to all the synagogues about Jesus. And um, the certain Jews believe, and the other Jews says, you either get out of town or we're going to kill you. So they leave to other towns and preach the gospel of Jesus. In this particular case, they went to Berea. In Acts 17, 10-12, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So not only did a lot of the Jews... They hear Paul preaching, Jesus is the Messiah, look in Isaiah, look in all these places. And the Jews like, doesn't say that? And they'd get their scrolls out, because they didn't have Bibles, they had scrolls, and they're looking through the scrolls. Yeah, it does say that in Isaiah. That whole chapter is about Jesus. Whoa, whoa. Well, there's something to this. And then the Greeks, when they say, with not a few Greeks, that means a lot of Greeks. Women and men were saying, I believe in Jesus. And they were jumping in too. So Gentiles and Jews were coming to Christ. All because they heard the gospel and then they examined the scriptures themselves diligently. Does it truly say that? Is that preacher right? He's popular. He's got millions of people. There's lots of big mega churches in America. Are they preaching scripture or are they preaching something else? Right? And the only way you can discern that is scripture. Right? But they might put up a good argument. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, here's a good one. I was watching a YouTube of two doctors, one preaching on free will, the other preaching on election, and both of them were servants of Christ. They were true Christians, and they were both using Scripture to make their case. But who was using Scripture better? Who was using Scripture accurately? Because guess what? They both can't be right. One of them is wrong. All right? Can you discern the difference? For me, that was fun. I just soaking that up. And it was 25 minutes just for their opening arguments. And then they go into 10-minute rebuttals and then a big Q&A and... Okay? Soaking it up. Yum, yum, yum. All right? So, we... Apologetics is knowing what the Scripture says. um, Right. And then... um, and defending it, and then polemics is making sure that the stuff you're listening to on the radio, like Hagee, big popular guy, right? Hagee on the, the Hagee, Pastor Hagee, John Hagee, right? Big popular guy on the radio, and the four blood moons, right? Never heard of him. You never heard of the four blood moons and all that? No, no, I've never heard of him. Okay, well, he's, he hey, made a video you could watch on Netflix for free. And, oh, the four blood moons means something great's going to happen to Israel. 
Well, John Hagee joined hands with uh, Glenn Beck, a false prophet of the Mormons, who's got his, his great stuff, and they all went to Israel together to do something. Now, I would no way do a public event with Glenn Beck, the Mormon, like we're connected, because we're not. He doesn't stand for Jesus Christ at all. There is no way I could do a public ministry with him. All right? Discernment. Polemics would say, Hagee, what are you doing? Show me the scripture that says that's a good idea. Right? Polemics would do that. But then Christians might say, well, Jeff, you're just stirring up fights. Hey, iron sharpens iron. You couldn't find a bunch of Christians to do that with? Right? You know what I'm saying? Those type of things. I'm going to give you some other examples here. First, let's go to apologetics. Here's an example of apologetics. Uh, actually, Javin and I are watching a YouTube this week about living fossils. Now, those crack me up, living fossils. Because an evolutionist cannot decide. They're so broken in their brain, they don't realize the concept living fossil can't be. It's a contradictory term. Because, we'll get to it. Let me just show you first. Right. Here, now, this is worldly thinking. Now, when, when a person without Christ cannot use logic. Here's an example. This cold cut, this old fish here, okay? They used to think when extinct at the same time as the dinosaurs. When was that? Well, about... 65 million years ago. Yeah, I checked the calendar. It's 65, 64, somewhere in there. Right. But they were rediscovered in 1938 in South Africa. And they, guess what? They look exactly like they did 65 million years ago. That's why they're calling them a living fossil. Does anyone see why this is becoming a problem already? <laughs> Okay, what does evolution believe? What should have this animal? All right, all right, we'll get to, right. It should be. They should not. There should be no possible way to identify that fish if it's sixty-five million years old and evolution is true. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it scientifically. And also, and then um, populations, there's two populations that have been separated by several million years by their magical numbers. You know where they're getting their numbers? Honestly? Okay? Right out of their butt. That's where they're getting their scientific numbers. Millions and billions of years, they're getting that right from their orifice. No joke. It is. It's a sad joke. Now, and there's two separate ones. And guess what? The two separate species, guess what? They look the same. What's wrong with this picture? Okay? Now, I want to show you a video of what... First of all, you could go to How Old is the Earth? Answers in Genesis. And just type in How Old is the Earth? And there's article after scientific article about why the Earth is only 6,000 years old, not 4-billion-year-old universe and a 60-million-year-old Earth and all that rigmarole nonsense, which, by the way, is unscientific. In order to go from a little booger bug to a human being, you need to add information to the DNA code. 
And no scientist anywhere has ever, ever observed that. All right? So if that's the case, after 65 million years, you would think that this living fossil fish would have changed into something by now. What did that say? I didn't realize that was a genetics. Fish man. Fish man, right. This fish should have changed into something by now. There should have been no possible way to identify a 65 million year old fossil with a live fish. Shouldn't happen. By evolution, which doesn't exist, fish man should be, no, that's my great grandpa right there. That's my great grandpa. Okay? But that doesn't happen. They find a fossil. This is an ancient, ancient six billion year old fossil. Hey, look, Ma, I just caught one. Hey, look, it's the same thing. 65 million years later, no change. Got it? An evolutionist goes, I don't see a problem with that. I don't believe in God. Matter of fact, if it's in the Bible, I reject it outright. Okay. Right? And the Christian's like, hello. It's like, oh, you don't believe in science, Christian. Do you understand? That's, that's apologetics. Because the scripture says, God made the earth in how many days? God made the universe in how many days? Six days. The seventh day, God rested from his work. It took, the question is, what took God so long? Couldn't he have done it all like that? Yep. Yes, he could. Here's an example of polemics. Um, this is out of pulpit and pen. And this pastor, Jeff Lasagna, I don't know his last name, of Harvest Church, asked the statue of Pope Francis to pray for the Harvest Crusade. A statue? A statue of Pope Francis to pray for the Harvest Crusade that they're going to do. Now, isn't he joking? Apparently there was some level of sincerity in that, else it wouldn't have made it to pulpit and pen. Okay, What is a Protestant minister of a big, popular, well-to-do church asking that the Pope pray for their event? Or even a statue of the Pope? What's wrong with that? Christians should be going, hmm, something tells me that's not scriptural. Another one from Pulpit and Pen is a pro-life group, Catholics are pro-life, have cards. Tens of thousands of cards they call relics. And for a certain amount of money, these cards have been touched by a vial of the blood of Pope John Paul II. And you can get one. A prayer card touched by the blood of a pope, which makes it a third-class relic. Hey, don't we want one? Who wants one? Touched by the Pope. A dead Pope. So there's, it's, the Pope's become a saint. And there's power. Power in the blood, right? Did I just misuse scripture? If I said power in the blood of referring to a dead Pope? Yes, I did. That would be bad. Polemics would be the Christian going up and saying, Hey, that's wrong. Okay? Christians can do that. So, why learn this? Okay, first here's part of my story. Um, as a Christian, as a new Christian in my 20s, I didn't have a bunch of good resources. I didn't have all the resources here. The internet really wasn't around yet to be able to inform me 
of all this good stuff. How could I know that the Bible is trustworthy? And why? Why is Jesus really God? Right? Where does it say that? Which Christian denomination is the right one? And why are the others wrong? What is sin? I even had to learn what sin was. Because growing up, people thought sin was just something bad that you did. And so there was a lot of confusion. So if you were to go to to my ancestors and say, hey, so-and-so passed away because of, you know, sin. They would say, you're trying to tell me God punished them and they died because they did something wrong? Not exactly, but yes. They would just be offended by that. That would just blow them right out of the water. They wouldn't even get it. Okay? But God has concise, logical, reasonable answers of why we should believe what we believe. And here's a few more reasons to learn this. And we're almost done. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the scripture wants us to know this. Here's Ephesians 4.12. Why do we teach and preach? To equip the saints. Are saints dead people from a long time ago? Can you go get a medallion of a saint and pray to it? Should you? Should you have a statue of your saint doing a wiggle on your dashboard of your car? (laughs) No, you shouldn't. The Bible says those who believed in Christ are saints. You've arrived. You don't need a body of humans to tell you you've reached sainthood. Okay? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That does say a lot. That's why we're here on Sunday mornings to get this information, to empower us to do works of ministry. This conversation is coming to all of us shortly. The works of ministry. Why? To build up the body of Christ. Who's the body of Christ? Us. Everyone in this room. Right. All right, maybe three. Yeah, 17, 18, 19. Okay. Ephesians 4.14 So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There is so much dangerous bad stuff out there. You know, I don't know if you've seen, you know, Benny Hinn is an example of old school bad stuff. Anything that's prosperity gospel is bad. If it's prosperity gospel, it's not of God. And how can you know that? Use a little bit of polemics. Use a little uh, defense of your faith, apologetics. Here's the best test. Take any of those highfalutin money-making preachers and send them to Africa, send them to a starving country, and let them preach to them people. And let's see if they can name it and claim it. 
These poor people who are dying of diseases without any clothes, watching their children die of starvation. Let's take those mega preachers, put Olstein out there in his suit in the desert, and let's see him magically make all these people wealthy out of nowhere. Right? As they're dying in front of him. That's how you know it's bad. It's not a huge leap. Right? But America, because even the non 1%, us, right? We're not, every American's in the 1%. But we're all going to take our cars full of gas, drive to our houses, and watch TV some point in this day. We're going to go eat meals, and we've got five meals in our, in our fridge right now, don't we? We're not starving. No. Right? We got all the toys we want, don't we? So to listen to a prosperity preacher is no problem. Well, if I pray more, have more faith, I can get more stuff. Right? So we don't want to... That's why we want to know scriptures, so we're not pulled away from this evil stuff and be caught up in it. You need to build yourself up. Become strong. Have a logical and rational reason to offer to somebody. Now, I want to encourage you with one last thought. And uh, here it is. Lost people don't and can't use logic. You don't need to have a neat debate with somebody. You don't. You don't need to have it all sewn up. Because even if you do use logic, like that cartoon I just showed you, you could take that into a college and show a scientific professor who doesn't love God, and they won't get it. They won't get that no observable science has ever been there to observe non-life to life, or new information being added to the DNA code. They'll blow a fuse. They will refuse and are unable to logically go... You're right. You're right. They can't and won't yield. So don't bother using logic. The best way to help a lost person is to give them a Bible verse. You don't have to think about it. Just think about their question. Hey, you know, I'm struggling or I just believe that. Start with the gospel. Because if their heart and their mind is a zombie, just... The only thing that can help them is if you impale them with truth of the Word of God. So you don't have to be fancy, you don't have to be scientific, you don't have to be logical. Just find some right Bible verses and stab them with it. Why do I say stab it with them? Because what is the Word of God? The sword of the Spirit. It's double-edged and sharper than anything else. Okay, You've got to know Bible verses. And that way... You can be mature into the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ. All right. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace. Thank you for the words apologetics and polemics where we're supposed to grow up, know truth, and share it lovingly. And uh, equip us all to do that because truth is our friend. Be glorified, Jesus. Amen. From Bibles websites to theology, apps to blogs, there are so many fantastic resources for Christians. Get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in Christ. TheSpeakandDeacon.com Truth is here.